Hi, welcome to Pound for Reels. I'm your host, Nia. And on today's episode, I'll be talking about Christopher Nolan's 2006 film, The Prestige, starring Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, and Scarlett Johansson. Stay tuned. The plot summary for The Prestige is as follows. A mysterious story of two magicians whose intense rivalry leads them on a lifelong battle for supremacy, full of obsession, deceit, and jealousy, with dangerous and deadly consequences. From the time they first meet as young magicians on the rise, Robert Angier and Alfred Borden were competitors. However, their friendly competition evolves into a bitter rivalry, making them fierce enemies for life and consequently jeopardizing the lives of everyone around them, set against the backdrop of turn of the century London. That right there is the sound of the spoiler alert. If you have not yet seen The Prestige and do not want it ruined for you, please don't go any further. Go ahead and watch it. Come back. Finish the podcast. See what you think about it. Okay, great. Well, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know how we met, um, Sam and I met in, was it 2013? Yeah, summer yeah. 2013. Yeah, summer 2013 in Hunt, Texas. Uh, summer camp, Camp Flaming Arrow. Um, and which was, I don't know about you, was one of the best summers of my entire life. Poppy was right. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was crazy. A lot of fun. It was, it was a very unique, amazing experience that I'm glad I did <laughs> when I did it. Um, and I'm yeah. glad that we became friends and here we are seven years later and uh what you visited texas a couple times i got to see you and then we yeah. got to meet up what was it two years ago yeah year barcelona ago? yeah barcelona that was nice so yeah. i appreciate yeah, it's that. crazy yeah you... it's, it's it's i will say everybody that i was close with that camp i still talk to now and whenever we see each other or talk it's just as if like i saw them yesterday yeah, it's, it's mad how that happens. Like, they tell you when you go in that you're going to meet all these new friends and, you know, you stay in contact with them for years and years. You don't really think about it until you, you look back at how long has passed and you're like, whoa, it's been seven years. I'm still talking to these people from, you know, across the world. It's people from Texas, people from the UK, Scotland, everything. It's crazy. Yeah, so much. I, I see a good, a good, I met up with Vicky. I think Liam's like the person I've seen the most. Um, Latifa, like I, I've gotten a good mm. amount of people uh, through. Mm. But yeah. Um, so Sam, if you want to go ahead and let everyone know what you actually do there in um, in Ireland. Yeah. So, so I am I'm a, a videographer. I produce and edit promotional videos for businesses. So that's actually what I was doing there initially at CFA when we met. Um, and that was kind of my first ever paid work, I suppose. So at the time, so, you know, I, I uh, traveled a lot then afterwards and did a few different things. But the last few years, I've been seriously back making videos again. So this year then um, decided to actually open my own company and the own business. So it's been, yeah, interesting. Um, 
trying to learn how to actually not just be the creative but actually learn how to run a business so that's what we're doing now we're gaining more clients and starting to gain some traction so yeah it's good it's uh, interesting experience I mean, it's a lot having to do all that yourself, but at least, you know, it's done the way that you need it and want it. And you're learning, you know, more of the business side of things of, of how it all plays together. But so Sam, would you say that you're like, like how, how much into movies are you? Like, are you like the average movie goer or do you think you're like a little bit more elevated than that? Um, I'm, I'd say I'm inconsistent, but heavily into movies. Like I've got... You know, I I did film in college, so um, I I am more into it, I would say, than the average movie goer. But at the same time, I've got friends who didn't study film but are much more of movie buffs than I would be, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So we studied a lot of the theory behind filmmaking, um, and you know, the, there's there's certain directors, certain genres that I'd be really into, um. But I, I wouldn't say I'm like a, you know, you see super nerds who are just in like live and breathe and know every single fact behind every single take of every shot. I wouldn't be that guy. But, you know, there's movies I'm super passionate about. <laughs> are you talking about me? Because I'm, I'm that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, someone has to be that person, you know, you've got your podcast now. So it's a great platform to examine those things. You had to geek out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So regarding the film we're going to talk about today, uh, The Prestige, that came out in 2006 from Christopher Nolan. Um, did you did you watch it when it came out that time or did you watch it later? Yeah, I saw that. I was a kid when I saw that movie the first time. I must have been maybe 13, something like that. Um, and I remember just being blown away by it, actually. Um, so when you, when you mentioned talking about this movie, I, I jumped at it because... Um, it was one of those that it really got me, you know, it's, there's so many reveals in the movie and it's, that seems to be part of the whole theme of it. And I remember at that age, even now, I think if I watched it now for the first time, it would have completely got me. But at that age, I remember maybe not understanding exactly what ex all the, like what was going on, all the, the intricacies of the movie. But I remember thinking, wow, this is really interesting. This, this plot really fooled me, you know? exactly that's, that's how I felt when I watched it too um now I'm not sure if you've seen like all of Christopher Nolan's catalog or if you're familiar with what his catalog mm -hmm. is like um Memento uh the the Batman the Dark Knight trilogy uh ten, newest one mm -hmm. Tenet but he has a theme of heavy foreshadowing and he layers it I feel so well you know where it's not redundant it still seems fresh yeah. And I rewatched this movie, some of it today, some of it this morning, and then some of it a couple of days ago. I'm like, you know, writing my notes, and I'm like, there's just so much foreshadowing in the first thirty minutes of this movie. It's it's pretty crazy. But um, I want to go ahead and get into these questions. Um, so, you know, constant, like I just said, constant plot twist, and and um, it's a classic Nolan fashion. What did you think about the twist with the magician's personal journals? Yeah, I, th I thought that was a a brilliant vehicle to to continue the trickery that's going on with the narrative because it's you never know if what you're seeing is what's 
really the story or you know nothing is as it seems with the movie so you know you were speaking about nolan and um i actually haven't seen tenet yet but i've i've followed a lot of his his work and it seems like over time the the level of intricacy and the storytelling seems to go up and up and up every time and it's almost like he needs to push it further to to really try and delve deeper into these like complex narratives and what i really liked about the prestige was i think it it did that but it it was sort of a it was simple but complex at the same time and the the trickery and the misdirection that was going on it it just all it felt very well crafted you know and um you see you see certain movies these days and it's kind of like there's there are twists for the sake of twists um in the storyline maybe just because the storyline isn't quite as strong but with this you know when you're when you the use of the journals and you 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 hear Borden reading or you hear sorry you hear Angier reading Borden's journal and you have that reveal of he starts to address Angier and he's like yes you really think I would do this? It's, it's, um, and you realize when he's, he's sent off to see Tesla that it's, it's all just an elaborate move. And he's, he's that one step ahead that the use of those journals, I think was a really clever storytelling tool, I guess, um, for Nolan to, to, to just control the audience and to throw the audience. And like I was saying, I'm a, I'm a sucker for those kind of things. Like I will fall for those things. Um, so I really like had the full effect of when those moments happened, being like, oh, you know, you get the feeling of the, the, the oh shit, you got me kind of moment, you know. So, yeah, like I, I think they were an excellent storytelling tool. What about you? I liked how he did it because usually, I'm not really um, a voiceover person on a movie. I want to just the actors to do their thing and, and the story to flow well. But when they when it's done like how Nolan did it, where it's mixed in with just how the movie is naturally progressing, it was a nice like driving tool to help push the narrative of the story and just like another layer of that, like you said, trickery of that aha, I got you moment of like, you know, you thought you were ahead of me, but I've been mm. planning this for weeks or months, be, you know, for for whatever reason. So I, I I really I was shocked that I did like that. Yeah. Um but Nolan has a way of using certain like tropes or certain um things that have been used by other people and making it better or work for him in the way that he tells a story and i think that's one of the reasons why he's a very like unique and prominent director is that he can take the old and make it very fresh and exciting and he can also give you something that's completely new that you you know never seen before Mm. so yeah so what trope then would do you think is is being you know reworked in that sense um, the, I'm talking about the, like the like the the uh, the voiceover kind of thing. That's not necessarily, necessarily a trope, but like uh, something that's yeah. used all the time. Like, I, like I've I can't think of the mo- a movie right now in particular, but you know, you watch a movie and it starts like, mm. "Hi, I'm so and so," and like you know, I don't like those, and it's like, can you give me a chance to just see the story mm. itself because you may not have needed this voiceover. The voiceover may have been like redundant, or it may have been. I guess it kind of feels like I'm a kid. It kind of feels like you're trying to hold my hand, and I'm like, I'm yeah. an adult. Let yeah. just give it to me and like let me process it. And I, I think that's a problem with 
in particular newer movies or the movies for the past like 10 15 years it's like they think the audience is mm. stupid and they got to hold their hand like they're a kid and walk them through this movie where i feel like no one's like hey i'm not gonna hold your hand i'm gonna give you some clues you should be able to piece it together and if you watch it again you'll see even more clues it's, it's kind of like um like a david fincher film like in fight club where he it but he just throws all this stuff in there and then once you finish Fight Club and you watch it again you see all these like new little things they didn't see the first time and on the third watch the same thing like I watched that film and I pick up so many new things every time I watch it even to this day I'm like I didn't know that little thing or Mm. or this so I like movies like that where it's um they're giving you something but they're not telling you per se they want you to kind of use your mind a bit before they you know actually say okay this is what happened like by the time in this film and um the proceed by the time we realize like what angier really is doing for his trick mm. to teleport a man yeah you're like whoa you're taking self-sacrifice to a whole new level you know um yeah i i, I, I with I like the voiceover that. thing um there's a thing we learned about meant documentary filmmaking and the use of voiceover in documentaries, you know, like the David Attenborough documentaries and things like that. And you, you, um, it's called like the voice of God. So you put so much trust in the voice of the narrator that you just assume what they're saying is fact or it's, you take it at face value. So with that, then with him, with the, the journals, maybe you fall into that again, where you think, okay, this must be how it is. And you do take it at face value and it doesn't appear to be, there doesn't appear to be anything awry so when it does when he does switch and start to address Angier or when Angier later then addresses Borden you kind of almost feel like he's addressing you too because he's like confronting you and being like haha I got you you've been reading this journal just accepting what's going on but actually (laughs) I'm, I'm still one step ahead yeah actually because I saw this in theaters um I think I'm like three years older than you because I was like I think I was like 16 when I saw this yeah I was like 16 when I saw this and and my dad's the one's like we're gonna go see this movie and I was like okay like whatever and when that part came up where he was you know he he addressed it I thought he was Mm. talking to the audience for a moment and I was like wait what what's going on but I I like it just just played out so well you know where it just seemed kind of like I don't know I I I would love to like sit down with Christopher Nolan and talk to him it's like how do you create stuff? Because like your mind just seems so, I don't know, like you're a very creative person to have this way of creating something and creating a world. Like I know you didn't see Tenet, but me and my boyfriend, we saw it and we loved it, but we had all these questions and you know, we, you mm-hmm. run to the internet to watch stuff and figure out. And I'm a facts person. So I was on IMDb looking up the facts and I was like, do you know he crashed oh, wow. a real plane? Like that was a real scene. There's no CGI. He was like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, dude, I, that's crazy, you know. Um, but I think you I'm just like there, just the end. Sorry, so I just I <laughs> Oh, sorry. I said I think I'm just like a really big fan of Christopher Nolan. So when he does these yeah. like amazing things, and it's like, oh, like yeah. what was your thought? And I thought the he was addressing the audience when he did that. I think in those moments you kind of do feel like you are in Borden's shoes or in Angie's shoes because the scenes they're very intimate scenes like it's Borden in his cell reading so you feel like you're there with him in a way and then with Angier he's sort of isolated in Colorado in this big room and it's just like this quiet moment he's having to himself 
so you do very much feel like you're in his shoes or there with him and it, it is sort of a I guess it a challenge to the audience I feel anyway I felt when I was watching it that it almost was directed at the audience also and I guess that comes back what you were saying about how creative Christopher Nolan is it just every trick feels like it's all part of one big trick like it's all really well crafted together yes exactly um, now, I'm not going to, I know I sent you a list of questions, but I'm not sure. going to necessarily go in order with them. Um, I did want to ask this one. So, now regarding what started this feud between uh, Angier and Borden, um, do you think that Borden truly forgot what night he tied that knot? And should Angier have been more understanding or was he rightfully upset? Keeping in mind that his wife, mm. Julia, was up for the challenge with the link for a double knot that was suggested saying that she can slip any knot no matter what. Though Cutter did warn them, hey, that's not a wet knot, so you can't mm-hmm. use it. Though it does hold tighter, it's not for water. Like, again, foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So heavy. Um, <laughs> you know? I, I don't think he forgot. I, I don't think you could forget something like that. And I think when you see his face at the time when when she dies that's not the kind of thing you forget i think you're left sitting with that guilt but that there's a potential question there i mean i don't know if you want to reveal the the thing about borden and fallon just yet or or what but yeah so oh no go for it okay, I, so, I warning yeah when you reveal that and or when that is revealed and maybe there's a question there in terms of who did Angier ask which version of him was there at the time when he asked was it the one who tied the knot or was it the one who didn't tie the knot um but I don't I don't think he did forget I I think Borden I found myself despite despite that act I found myself more rooting for him throughout the movie that, rather than Angier and I'm not sure if if everyone felt the same way I kind of feel like it is slightly weighted in his favor um, so I, I found myself sort of uh, rooting for him, but I think he does have a lot of character flaws, which are revealed, and I don't think he's beyond uh, lying about something like that or maybe hiding. I, I think he did know. And I don't think Angier was... I think Angier was right to feel that way about him because even though even though she was up for it and she, you know, she willingly allowed him to tie that knot... If, if you've lost your wife, you're not going to care about that, you know, and it's, you would be, I think, consumed by what you just witnessed and, and the loss and the anger. And, and it was like with the scene, Cutter was telling them, no, it wasn't the right decision. They can't do that. Not Borden was the one who was really, really pushing it. And it was almost like a challenge to her to see, oh yeah, she's good enough. She can do it. But that's, he was really pressing her in pressuring her into that I felt so yeah I don't think I think Angier was definitely justified in his his anger and his um his vengeful path that he took then but it's interesting that despite all that I found myself still still sort of in Borden's favor more so I'm not sure why what about you I agree with what you're saying completely. And I feel like the reason, because I was cheering for um, Borden as well. 
And I think it's because we root for underdog for underdogs, you know, Borden, as if you look at his character, you look at his clothing, you mm. look at even his hygiene, it's not the best, you know, even that in that time period, you can tell that he's one of the poorer people. You see his living conditions or lack of their living conditions. We see him with his, you know, future wife in her place and her place isn't the best either. So you, I think you feel for him because of his situation financially, um, usually he loves magic mm. and he loves it in its entirety. And Cutter even said at some point, he's like, you know, um, mm. you're upset because Borden's a natural magician and you cannot have what he has because even Angie has said, you know, was like, he doesn't have like, you know, a flair or anything like that. He's like, cause he doesn't need it. You need it. You know, that's not the kind of magician that he is. He's when you, when you grow up less than you find ways to make up for it. And that's what he's doing. And I feel like Andrew, if he was raised in a more, um, you know, profitable or, you know, rich environment, you're, you're trying to stand out because finance isn't a thing for you. You've already had money and and riches and stuff like that. So you're trying to be special. He even said at some point to, I think his wife, Julia, he said, um, I had to change my name to not bring shame to my family. Mm -hmm. And that was like a small hint of like, at that time period, if you have money, doing stuff like this makes you look poor. Cause mm-hmm. like, why are you in this environment? You don't need the money. Like this is kind of odd and weird for you to do now regarding the knot that Borden tied. I think that Borden and Julia, if they would have practiced it before and she slipped it, then it's fine. But it was very stupid and very impulsive. And like you said, he was peer pressuring her like um for, for for them to do that for the first time on stage in front of so many people also the water tank i felt was a little bit too high of water because like there's like a like a metal bar across where you can't see the actual mm. top of the tank of how far it's filled and that could have been an air pocket for that exact reason of she can't slip the knot but she can still breathe in the air pocket and they can drop their curtains see oh she's not out let's get her out kind of thing so i and that could have been the time period they weren't thinking about or whatever. But I I think that Borden did, like you said, I think he did know that he tied that dot. I think he did know that he was wrong. And he probably thought about the words that Cutter told him, like, I told you, that's not a wet knot. Also, he's a, what's it called, an a engineer. Um, and he's the one that designs and uh, illusions and constructs the apparatuses necessary for them to mm. perform their tricks. So if Cutter's telling you, this is his thing, and he's telling you, this is not going to work. Why would you go against him? Since yeah. they're clearly under like an apprenticeship from him, through him. So why would you not listen to this older gentleman who's been around for decades? <laughs> you know, he's not telling you to, to just to be an asshole. He's telling you because there are repercussions for things like this, especially when it's not practiced. And unfortunately, we see that play out on stage. Um, but I, 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 like I said, like you said, I root root for Borden just because he's the underdog and it seems like he's the one that like he needs it he doesn't want it he needs it yeah. you know like this is his thing it's like the only thing that he's good at he doesn't have anything else compared to Andrew who can do whatever he wants you know throughout the movie he's like oh money's not an object money's not an object and it's just like well for uh Borden it is you know he's like this is what I need even even until like the very end he's like I need to make sure that my family's taken care of because like, I don't technically have anything to leave behind and give them besides, you know, this yeah. book of magic. Secrets. It definitely feels like he you know? kind of threw her to the wolves in his obsession to do the best 
trick into you know it goes back to what you were saying about he's that authentic magician where this is who he is and he he really needs it so he was willing to you know he didn't consider her safety that much he just wanted he was had the blinkers on he just wants to do the most amazing most daring trick that he could possibly do so you know maybe he hadn't had anything as traumatic or tragic as that ever go wrong before so he he was like yeah let's just do it he didn't really think about her so and I think with that it it makes it a better movie though because he is he is flawed he's not this hero you know and you are rooting for him but he does have the all these questionable traits also so I just think it, it enriches the story a little bit having that ambiguity where you're not sh- you know you read you you are rooting for him but he's not this great guy and it's it's full of contradictions definitely definitely because you know before we figure out like how he's able to do his uh Borden's able to do his version of the teleported man um there's a there's a line that his wife sarah says and she's like he tells her i love you and she's just like you you don't mean it today and he's like, what? And she's like, sometimes you say it and you mean it. And sometimes you say it and you don't. And for the longest time yeah. watching, I'm like, what is she talking about? You know? And when you, when I found, you know, when we finally realized, it was like, oh man, that was a good little, little slip there of, you know, like what's going on. And even when I, even when I watch it again, I'm just like, oh, it's just so good of a, of a scene. And you don't know really what it means until a little bit later into the film. Cause I just thought it meant, you know, mm. He loves her, but on his bad days, he, you know, he, you know, isn't as a, in, into it yeah. as he should be. That's what I took it as, as a woman, you know. And I was just like, oh, man, good line. Whoever made that yeah, line like up, I, that was, so that I was saw really it, good. Obviously, um, when I was young, and then I've seen it in between, but I rewatched it recently just because I knew we were going to speak about it. And I, I watched it with my girlfriend and watching it through, she was like, oh, he's just a dick, isn't he? And I was like, you know, wait, you know, you'll you'll see. Um, but it is, it's, it's it's just another thing that you realize all these little tricks and it's almost like every scene is, is in, in service to this big reveal towards the end or a series of reveals towards the end. And the rewatch value is so good because when you, when there are so many, so many tricks and it all ties in, I guess, to what Cutter says at the start about, or at the end about you want to be fooled, you know? There, there are so many of those throughout it when you rewatch it it's like oh my god yeah. bam 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 every single scene there there are a series of those misdirections and tricks definitely and I, I mean it may sound stupid saying it out loud right now but like, I just realized that this whole movie is a magic trick because technically in the opening scene the beginning mm. Cutter tells you literally how it's going to end you know, with with the canaries and in, in the um in the bird cage at Tricky Show and Little Girl, that's literally the movie. You know, and I'm like, oh man, that's a nice little thing too. Of I'm telling you exactly how it's gonna end right now in the first ten minutes of the movie, and and mm. also even with the opening credit scenes where um you know it's like they're up in a forest and you, not they just like a like a scene of them in the, uh, of the forest and there's like all these top hats, multiple top hats. And you're like, what is it supposed to mean? You know, and like it goes again into like you know like the cloning kind of thing that we see with um with Angier's version of the trick you know 
So I was like, so going back and watching it, when I watched the credits, the, the opening scene, I was like, oh yeah, this just makes more sense. So like, again, like you said, rewatch value, even just from the start, it's just like, wow, like it's, it's on point. Like what, what is it? Um, the, the phrase I'm trying mm-hmm. to use, no one uses like purpose. Cause I was talking to my boyfriend and we'll watch a movie and I'm like, I'll rewind a part. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. He's like, what do you mean? It doesn't mean anything. I'm like, no, why would the director zoom in on this object mm-hmm. or have it in the frame? It has to mean something. And he's mm-hmm. a regular movie watcher. So he's like, no, it's nothing. You're making a big deal. I'm like, no, man. Directors that are actually good or even decent, they don't have a shot without a yeah. purpose. There, there's a reason why you're seeing something, you know? And Nolan is like a great answer and you know they're like great examples of like I'm putting this in the scene for you to kind of know what it is but I'll explain it to you later if you don't get get Absolutely. what I'm showing you right now yeah and it feels thing. like the reason um, I think I love this movie so much is because it it all just blends together perfectly to me and feels just like it's cooked to the right temperature like there's no twists for no reason there's no there's no fat on it. Everything about it is just well thought through and well crafted. You, like I, I've already said it, but sometimes you see you see movies and you you see twists, and it kind of feels like ah, oh, it's you just want me to. It's it feels like a reach, or it feels like it's done out of desperation, or or you know, it's maybe a little bit of a cheap trick. Where with this, it just feels like he's fully in control of what's happening, and you're just trying to keep up. Yes, <laughs> I feel like that in every Christopher Nolan film. I like I watch, I'll watch it, and I'm just like, okay, I get this. That's what's happening. I'm like, wait, oh, that means this, and like I'm adding it together. Like, because my thing whenever I watch a film is I'm trying to get it and mm. understand it before they like clearly lay it out for you. Like, hey, dummies, this is what I was trying to yeah. say without saying it, but like I gotta say it now, you know. Um, and like he always gets me. Like, I'll, I'll get most of it, and then like there'll be something small you know that I don't that I don't understand like like one of my favorite Nolan films is um Inception and because like things of like the dream world and stuff I love that and there's all these like people have all these ideas about you know is um shared dream like really a thing and how does it work and operate and so I have all these questions at the end of Inception I mean I think um I had a question it was just like a, you know is he in limbo or is he in, in the real world and then I answered my own question literally like an hour later. I was like, oh no, he's in like, I think he's in, he's in, he's choosing to be in the dream world because he's reality is shit, you know? But um, I feel like Nolan, his movies will, no matter what, whether people like them or not, they do spark conversation, you know? Even something like, you know, like the, like the Dark Knight, we all know the Bat, uh, Batman story, but he still gives like, he breathes new life into this Batman, you know, like his version of Batman is my favorite you know minus the 90s versions of batman that are kind of like you know mm-hmm. comic-y campy style i like his version like i'm kind of i'm kind of nervous with new one coming out with robert yeah. pattinson because i'm like Ugh, i like robert pattinson so we don't need another batman because like uh, we, we just had ben affleck and i'm like i ben affleck did fine but i didn't need it it should just mm-hmm. stop that christian bale <laughs> and christopher nolan and it would have been yeah. fine but um no yeah just, I, I, was I feel the same oh, sorry, I think with them um, with Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight ones because what I really like about it and it's kind of the same thing with this it's not like this movie it's not really about magic 
and that one it didn't really feel like a superhero movie to me it felt like i was watching a crime thriller you know yeah and that to me was really refreshing for a superhero movie because it still had the cool scenes and the car chases and everything but it was like oh well this feels like you know a heist movie it feels like a a detective movie it's 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 got such a different more gritty feel to it where it's like less comic book more real and i think at the time that's probably what they did need to do with it to breathe life into it and i think you were saying about robert pattinson and the new one i'm i hope it's good i'm you know i'll give it every chance to be good i I just think sometimes with superhero movies the i guess the temptation to just keep reviving them while the appetite is there is too much for 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 studios and they want to do it but personally yeah. i think maybe they should give it a bit more time to breathe before they revive it and that that would build more anticipation then whereas when you've just had it it doesn't have the same hit for me when they revive yeah. it again it's kind of the same with spider-man and um, i would like them to, to let it let it live a little longer before Ooh, you bring it back and then when you do it'll have that <laughs> oh my god kind of feeling again Yeah, I I won't stay on it too, too long, but with the comic universe, I, I've read a lot of these different comics, and Spider-Man's one of my favorite, and Tobey Maguire's a fine Spider-Man, I, I don't have it, I don't dislike any of the Spider-Mans that came out, um, like the people who play them, but technically Tobey Maguire isn't how Spider-Man is in the comics, you know, and they didn't have Gwen Stacy in there, and I'm like, y'all are already messing up, and I don't know how you're messing up such an easy story. And then you retold it with Andrew Garfield. And it was like, okay, this is fine. This is good. Andrew Garfield is like a really good Spider-Man. And then for a reason, they're like, let's get Tom Holland. And Tom Holland, I think he looked apart. He acted well. He was actually a teenager when he did it. And so they're improving on the Spider-Man. But it was kind of like it wasn't needed. Like the Tobey Maguire and um, Andrew Garfield was a good distance apart. So I was fine with it. But it was just like, why are we getting another Spider-Man? Now we have... Well, technically now we have four Spider-Men. We have the three that mm-hmm. we know, and then we have uh, Miles Morales as well. And then there's, wait, isn't there five? No, yeah, well, there's a lot of Spider-Men. There's a lot of different ones. But, yeah, like you're saying, it, it's yeah, just yeah. too much. And we've seen Uncle Ben die, like, too many yeah. times. I'm like, I'm over seeing this old man die. <laughs> you know, I'm like, just stop. You're, you're, you're messing up the story. But, yeah, the comic book world and movies, they're, they're, they're just messing up a bit, like, I don't want to bash this movie because I I understood what it was about when I was watching it, but like Wonder Woman eighty four, I was just like, mm, this is not what people wanted from Wonder Woman. Technically, they wanted like a more like wow movie, and they just basically I think these are people who were teens in the eighties, and they're like, we're gonna bring yeah. the eighties back, and I was like, I get it, I totally get it. So it was okay, but it wasn't what people wanted. You know, and it was kind of like, this could have been a lot better. We wanted a little bit more action, less campy. And I think, like, directors like Nolan, like you said, like, he took the traditional Batman that we knew and he put a little bit of a darker spin on it and made it more adult-themed, and but kept, like, you know, how we know Batman as. And it was just like, this works so well. But I think... He he's the kind of director of like I'll do what you're asking me, but in my own way. Mm-hmm. But I promise it'll make sense. It'll still come off well, compared to other directors who just try to completely change source material, or they use it and they don't know how to 
put a creative flair on it. So like some of these movies that are coming out in the past like five, ten years are just regurgitated BS or like cookie cutter stuff, you know, and you have like a handful of ones that are like really good and stand out, you know, like American Horror Horror is, is getting better now, but it had been pretty crap for, for, for some years where like I hopped off America's horror and I got into like Asian horror, German horror movies because like the stories are so good. It's not like, oh, these teens are in a cabin and they hear some noises in the woods. Like it was like some really good uh, you know, plot. You know, which is, I feel like American film is the most popular film, but we're not necessarily the best. You know, like there are these really good stories that are not being seen because they're just coming from either small directors or areas that aren't known for movies. And there, it's I feel like the movie world is this big universe where mm-hmm. everybody has a place. You know, so hopefully, like the good thing about quarantine is you have these really really good movies that are coming out. So much where it's like an oversaturation right now in the film world where it's just like there's so much stuff coming out yeah. I'd have to watch probably two movies a day to keep up because it's just a lot you know I don't know if you feel the same way yeah and but I, it just feels I, like it's a lot I of wouldn't stuff claim necessarily out to be an expert on what's behind this but it, it does seem that because they know that it works there's a too much of a reliance now on sequels and remakes because they know that they'll you know they know this will make money. Nostalgia sells. So there's a, seems to be a real heavy Definitely. lean on those kind of movies. And it's this is being remade or this is being rewritten. And maybe that means that there's a lack of chances being taken. Oh, definitely. There's, what is it called? I don't know if it's called like the Blacklist, but there's, um, like, out of the studios, they have, like, just like baskets full of all these scripts that were submitted and if they don't if they can't find an idea they'll go to that basket and like just go through scripts to find out which ones mm. are good and it's like some of these scripts have been there for years and they've never been put out into the real world and these are really good quality movies but they don't want to give them a chance and that's why a lot of people like hop off the you know silver screen and they'll like i'll just do a indie film mm. circuit i'll do tiff or sundance or whatever and then it will it will gain momentum in those like indie circuits, and then at some point it'll 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 build up and be better. Like these cult classics, like Donnie Darko wasn't a thing when it came out at the time, so but now it's like like a cult classic. You know, people love Donnie Darko. But when it yeah, but when it came out, people were like, "What the hell is this movie? I'm watching. Mm-hmm. What is this like wormhole portal thing? I don't get it." But um, so back to the prestige. So this movie is basically a revenge story. Both magicians keep sabotaging each other. Is there another way you think this could have played out? I think it played out the way it end? needed to. To me, it's it's about revenge and obsession, I think, between the two men. And over over time, as the movie progresses, it seems like they become as much obsessed with sabotaging the other guy and ruining the other guy's life as they do with being the best which at the start of the movie maybe they were a little bit more idealistic maybe had a little bit more integrity and over the course of it they both become so you know so obsessed I'm trying to think of another way to put it but just so consumed by this competition that they end up in 
that they go to extreme lengths they do shameless things to each other they constantly show up at each other's shows trying to outdo the other one and i think when when you're telling a story like that i think the only way that can really end is in disaster in a car crash i don't think when you get to characters like that who are so hell-bent on destroying the other one you're ever going to see either of them let up it was always going to end in somebody's getting hurt or both are getting seriously hurt so i think it's it's the way it needed to go and it it added to i guess the the complete nature of the story the way it it um the way it climaxed at the end so i was saying that i think it could have it, another way it could have went was you know Borden and Angier sit down and have a conversation after they both, you know, hit each other with the self-sabotaging of one loses their fingers, another one, you know, lost his wife. And they sit down and talk and Borden just tell him, like, listen, like, it was, I tied mm. the knot because she said it was okay. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. you know, I I regret it. You took it, hear me? Oh, sorry. Um, but I, he could have, he should have admitted, like, you know, I've been thinking about it over and over again. I know for a fact I tied that knot because she said it was okay. And I regretted that ever since it happened. I took something from you that is irreplaceable. And for that, I truly apologize. Is there a way we can have some common ground? Um, I know it won't be the same as it was before. I wish I, we could have seen that. But I also get that when you ha- are full, so full of revenge and hate for somebody, you're blinded by it. And you don't want to make them feel better or come to terms with it. Unless it was like, you know, the start of when they're like 25 and you know mm. cut to their 50 and they're like oh you know it's been 25 years you know i let's talk about this or whatever um because it what it could have happened they're, they're both good magicians and they both have what the other one's lacking so if they would have came together as a duo because that's what i thought at the beginning mm. before all the bad stuff happened i thought that they're gonna end up being a duo you know and maybe they had a falling out or something like that. But if at the end they could have came together and been a duo, they could have dominated and been the legends that they wanted to be. And maybe Cutter, that was maybe that was Cutter's idea of like, you know, you two work so well together. You should, you know, stay stay at it and you can, you can see what happens. You know what I mean? But obviously that's not what the story is about. I think the story is about how far would you go to get revenge on, on someone yeah. and how much is too much? You know what I mean? And also sacrifice. Sacrifice is spread out throughout this movie too. And I I personally think that one did more sacrifice than the other, which leads into another question. Do you think that um, when Angie had said in regards to Borden, what is no self-sacrifice, do you think that line had any more meaning that was on than what was on surface level? Yeah, that's one thing. One of many things that I think when you've watched it back and you know how it ends, then you realize there might be more significance to it at the time. It just seemed like he was unaware of of how deep boredom was going or it, it was just his jealousy or his hatred and you don't think too much of it. But when I then realized, and it took me actually until recently to even realize that Angier's whole character is actually a facade and that he is really Lord Caldlow, even after watching the movie a couple of times, 
because there's so much going on and so many misdirections and twists, when that revealed itself, I actually didn't even catch it. I just, I was more caught up with the Borden twist. So um, having then realized that Angier is the longstanding um, alias that he has, you then realize that maybe that's where that comes from, where he's he's thinking, I've put my whole persona on for so many years. That's that's his sacrifice. He's pretending he's this different person. So it seems like they, they were, throughout the whole movie, both trying to figure out what each other's game was and thinking that they have the upper hand. And I think that just plays into that whole chess match. Definitely, definitely. And, cause I, and I wonder why um, Borden didn't tell anybody about, you know, his his twin. It would make sense if he told Cutter, you know. Um, but yeah. to keep to keep that away from people and just be like, oh, this is like my sister or my handler or whatever, or whatever he was to him. I was just like, hmm, maybe he just, when he decided to be a magician, he was like, okay, no one can ever know that we're brothers because it's going to mess up anything in the future. And they'll know that, you know, I, it's not a, it's not like a, it's not true magic, you know what I mean? They're, they won't be in, into it. But, I mean, there's a, there was a scene where Sarah was tending his wounds on his fingers and mm. she was like, this doesn't make any sense. It's bleeding worse than the day, than the day before or as bad as the day that it happened. And, you know, I just thought, oh yeah, whatever, when I was younger. But, you know, watching it back, you're like, oh, well, duh, that's why... <laughs> It's bleeding so bad, and they showed it. Obviously, they showed the scene of, of it happening. And you know, when he had asked him, when Andrew had asked Borden, like, you know, who was the teleporter man, like, who did what, and he was like, We took turns. And I love mm-hmm. that because Borden's like, I don't need all this credit and fame, I don't need the applause, I just want the trick to do well. You know, whether that's me getting applause and praise, or that's him getting applause and praise, you know. The point is that we're in this together. We're only family. And I really love that. And I think that's kind of what Andrew was lacking. He didn't have family to rely on. You know, his wife's dead. Mm. His family doesn't approve. or And they don't know of um, his career as a magician. So he doesn't have that, like, family love and support that this man does. You know, and he does comment on in the journals, like, you know, I thought he had everything I didn't have. But, you know, in reality, he's really, like, a sad man. Um, that can't really provide for his family. And I was like, I kind of think he has more than you do because, you know, you're so focused on getting the acclaim. You're not really focused on how do I get the trick to work? And, you know, he took a shortcut and that shortcut was this, I mean, huge sacrifice. You know, when you, when you see how it played out and how many water tanks there were of him, it was, it, it kind of turned from, this dramatic movie into kind of like a thriller you're like yo like what are you really doing do you realize what you're doing and mm-hmm. Nikola Tesla even said he's like are you ready for the sacrifice and what comes with what's going to happen and he's like yeah I'm ready he's like I don't think you're listening to what I'm saying because it's mm-hmm. more than what you're thinking you know when it first happened he was he was shocked and surprised but clearly not enough to stop he liked the applause so much that he didn't he didn't care and it's to me it's kind of sad so I, I think if even if his wife survived he would still have done this I don't I don't think it would have been different she may have said like what Sarah says like mm, you seem different but I don't know what it is I also don't think it's a freaking clone of you I think it's you but you're just <laughs> like 
off today. And I'm sure if, you know, let's flip it and say Julia was the one that found all these tanks of his body. She would have been like, what the hell is, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, are you not, do you think you're God? Like, what is, what is going on? And like, how do you explain that? And then she'd be like, I'm going to talk to my husband because I don't know if you're version 10 or 20 of him right now, you know, mm-hmm. um, which that would be cool yeah. if that, if that, if she would have survived of how that would have played out. Yeah. Yeah. You could imagine 50 Julia's running around as well. If she'd fallen by the same fate. Um, but yet it definitely seemed like Angier was more driven by fame and glory. Um, even when he was unhappy with receiving the applause beneath the stage, when Root was on the top of the stage getting the applause, with you know he, in a way, he had achieved something, and they were celebrating that he had created along with Cutter this superior trick. But almost instantly, you see that he's not satisfied, and the reason he's not satisfied is because he's not getting that reaction, that dopamine hit of seeing all those people worshiping him. And with Borden, it definitely did feel like he's, yes, wanting that, but more, he's coming at it from more of a purist perspective where he, it's all about the trick itself rather than the acclaim. And you mentioned the scene where um, Sarah comments on his fingers not being healed. And that's, that might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. I absolutely love that when they flash back because it's just another, it's such an innocuous little scene at the time that you don't think anything of it. And then when they have the reveal, it goes back and it just shows all the fine details that you have missed throughout it. And when you see, I guess it's more impactful because you see the visual of him biting down and on the handkerchief or whatever it is that he's biting on and having the, the fingers removed. It's just such a, impactful scene and you realize how far these guys have gone to maintain this illusion and when you were talking about it that maybe they agreed long ago it kind of it puts this image or this scene in my mind of the two of them as kids making this pact that okay like no matter what it's you and me we're not gonna tell anybody about this ever and we'll be the greatest magician ever I kind of like that it's it's a really like you really see the purity of the the character there as a magician and just how that is his first love and everything else comes second. Um, and it, you know, it sucks then for Sarah because she, you kind of think she would be trustworthy. I don't think she would have blown his cover, but he wasn't willing to take that chance. He wasn't willing to let her in and show her and the, the magician's code or his loyalty to Fallon. Nobody could breach that. So it's, it's one of those things where it's, and you see it in movies a lot where these highly driven men, um, they're not willing to put the people they love in front of their goals and their obsessions. Um, and I think you definitely saw it there. And then with Angier, yeah, the the change in the movie when you realize what's happening with his new transported man um, and you realize that he is cloning himself, the movie takes a bit of a turn then because it's, all of a sudden there is a supernatural element and it feels a little bit darker. Um, And I think when, like I said before, the movie doesn't feel like it's really about magic. It's about, like you said, revenge. It's about obsession and all these things that that's a strength of the story. So when you're watching it all the way through, you become sort of comfortable with that, that 
oh this is this is good this is enjoyable it's it's not actually about magic it's it's a human story so then when that element does come into the movie i think it carries more weight definitely so of the lead magicians what do you think of them do you think that they were polar opposites or do you think they were two men going through similar difficulties yeah i think i think they have a lot of differences in terms of their their surface level that like you said their appearances also their backgrounds they come they come from different backgrounds their characters have these subtle differences and i think that's important that they were slightly different to play off each other like you do see borden is more the uh, i guess the tougher and purist magician who he he it comes a little bit more naturally to him so that sparks kind of a a jealous streak in Angier and the obsession but An- Angier is is so persistent with that and so determined that that then sparks resentment in Borden um so it, I think the the subtle differences in them were good for igniting that feud that they had but it, ultimately they're driven by a similar a similar obsession maybe there's a maybe there's a difference in terms of Angier is more seeking the glory, whereas Borden is more about conquering the task or something like that. But they're definitely, they go into similar depths, just trying to outdo each other. And it, it kind of turns into like the biggest and best pissing contest of all time. <laughs> truly, truly. Would you agree? I agree. And then like, going back, I just, just thought about this, going back, because, you know, at the end, um, Borden dies, but I just thought about this. Technically, they both die. You know, like, yes, a version of Angier exists, but it's not the original version of Angier. So, technically, <laughs> both of them die for the sake of magic and just, you know, have a long uh, revenge story that they have going on between each other. I don't know why, like, that just, like, just clicked in my mind. <laughs> of like, well, technically, they both died. But, yeah. you know, Cutter, Cutter told him. Cutter told Angier like how simple. He's like, clearly they're using a double. And he's like, it can't be that simple. And he's like, but it is. And I think that Angier was so blinded by how is this man who I don't think is smarter than me able to do a trick I can't do? Mm. And he didn't want to admit that he is smarter, that he could be smarter than him. And Cutter's just like, you're literally being so complex and thinking about this too thoroughly. It's just. <laughs> He's using a body double. There is no other way to do it, you know. Mm. And that goes into when um, Julia and uh, Borden are doing. He's showing her the the bullet trick, catching trick. And she's like, "Oh, like how do you do it?" And he's like, "I'm not going to tell you. It's like magicians all about their secrets." And she's like, "Well, if you can't tell me, then you can't really do it." And he gets a little bit frustrated, and he and he shows her, and she's like, "Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense now that you say it." And he's just like, "Clearly, you didn't know what it was before." So I think that could have been a foreshadowing of like, he's like, I can't trust you because look how quickly you try to put me down when I did tell you how something worked and you couldn't figure out these simple mechanics or something, you know, because it could have took like one argument and she would have, you know, revealed his secret on stage. Like he has a, he has a twin. He's a twin. That's what <laughs> all guys. I'm over it. He's cheating on me. Bye. Like it could have been so simple. So I get why keeping it in the family of just blood family 
why it makes sense. And yeah. like it him dying in the end, it sucks because but regardless of which person's dying, whether it's the the one that we we've seen or or the twin brother, they're either way, a child losing their father, you know, because they both have kids. So I was just like I was thinking about that too. I'm like this is just it's it's just very sad overall and no one truly wins. You know, it's like you lost a wife, um, I lost my fingers, I lost my brother, um, we both don't really have anything now. Like, yeah, you still have your money, but it's just I think the the point of it all is just like this all could have been avoided and mm. revenge is not good overall. It usually ends horribly. And we see that play out in the story for this what two hours two hours service that play out of like you guys keep going back and forth getting each other but it's just like y'all are so obsessing over each other instead of focusing on yourselves mm. you know and was it cutter tries to tell him that even julia tries and then uh scarlett johansson's character olivia like everybody's mm-hmm. trying to tell him like let it go and they're like no it's it's a it's the i just gotta do it just to do it because it's it's what needs to be done. He needs he needs to you know own up to their to his actions. It's like okay, but like, how long are y'all gonna do this? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and Tesla warns him as well about obsession when he goes to see him. You you see so many examples of it, and he talks about it from someone who is admitting that he's too far gone, and he's telling you from inside that zone of obsession. He's like, watch out, you'll end up like me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything about this movie that you wanted to bring up that I didn't ask or that you want to like highlight? Well, I know you'd uh, you'd mentioned something about um, David Bowie as Tesla. What did you think of that? I actually looked into this because I, when I saw the movie, me and my dad were watching it, and I was like, "Is that David Bowie?" And my dad said, "No, Nia." And I'm like, "Wait till the credits come up." And then <laughs> we saw the credits. I'm not that person that knows people's faces very easily, and it comes up, and he's like, "Oh shit, it's really David Bowie." I'm like, "Yeah, I told you." He's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. He's not an actor. And so I looked it up. And um, uh, at first, David Bowie said no. He didn't want to do it. And uh, uh, Christopher Nolan actually reached out to him. He was like, I literally wrote this with you in mind for whatever reason. And with that, he decided to do it. And I was just, I was humbly surprised and shocked of like, I think he took it extremely serious. And he did such a a great job at this character like I don't know how Nikola Tesla was but I think he did a really good job of of just just being that person you know of of the, mm-hmm. the way that he'd be perceived as I I really liked it and I think the what was the question I was going to ask about this about oh yeah yeah the, I actually like what your thoughts in, in, in his performance and um the casting decision like do you think David Bowie did a good job or do you mm-hmm. think like Someone else should have been been Tesla. Yeah, it's interesting. So I had seen David Bowie in Labyrinth when I was a kid. My dad showed me that movie. Um, so I'd seen him in movies before. And um, it seems to me that he, I guess, is drawn into movies or is approached with roles that are somewhat in, in, uh, in tune with his real life persona, which is sort of mysterious and sort of artsy and I think I think it was actually a good decision to to bring someone in like him for the role of Tesla because I I like when movies like this have elements of historical figures in them 
And I I think it might have been done deliberately, like you said, he wrote the, the role with him in mind. It's interesting because sometimes when David Bowie is someone who, when you see, like you said, but your dad, you're like, oh my God, that's David Bowie. You, you, he's so famous that you're like, you see him as David Bowie. Um, and I kind of find that with Michael Caine as well, that when I see him, I kind of half forget his actual character's name. I was like, oh yeah, there's Michael Caine. But, but for, for Bowie, usually when you're taken out of the story, I would consider that a bad thing. But for a role like this, when it's a huge historical figure, I think maybe they needed someone who had a real presence and sort of a star power about them that when you see them on screen, you go, oh, wow. And David Bowie definitely has that. So I think even though you know that it's David Bowie and you see him and you, you know in the back of your mind that it's this musician, I think for a role like that, it just adds a little bit of mystique and like um, maybe lore to the character or something like that because Tesla is such a huge name that if they just got some actor that you didn't know, maybe it wouldn't quite have the same effect on the audience. That's how I found anyway. And um, yeah, I, I thought he was good. Like I thought he delivered his lines really well. Um, there was some, some kind of witty lines about, he asked that, uh, which one's my hat? And he said, they're all your hat or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I think, I think because it was a cameo role, I think it worked. Nice. Um, so I'm going to get into some facts about this movie. So I don't know if you know this, but do you know the app called IMDb social mm -hmm. website? Yeah. Okay. So there's an area in there um, for each movie and show called trivia There's trivia quotes, goofs, stuff like that. And um, there's a lot on the prestige. So, First of all, the procedure is based on a novel. And in the novel, the machine for the teleported man works a bit differently than what was in the film. It doesn't copy a person exactly as they are. The memories and personality aren't always intact, uh, 50 to 100 feet away from the device's location. So instead, it does, in fact, transport the essence of the person into a newly created body leaving behind a seemingly dead husk. And these dead husks are what Andrew refers to as his prestige materials in the novel. Do you think that Nolan should incorporate that in the movie or do you think it's fine how it is? I'm sorry, just the last bit of what you said, I couldn't quite hear you. Could you just repeat the last bit, of, uh, the difference in the two machines? Um, so in the, in the novel, the prestige, the machine works, they work a little bit different. Whereas in the novel, um, it doesn't copy a person exactly as they are. The memories and personality aren't always intact. Um, instead, it does, um, in fact, transport the essence of the person into mm. a newly created body, leaving behind a seemingly dead husk. Um, and that's what Andrew, Andrew refers to as his prestige materials in the novel. And I was asking, do you think that Nolan should have incorporated that into the film or do you think it's fine how he had it? Okay, yeah, that that's interesting. That would have been interesting to see as a character development when you see maybe how he degrades over time or how he changes and loses things about himself if he was to be reborn slightly different each time. Am I right in saying that's how it, it was done in the novel? Is that right? Yeah, there, there's a movie that's kind of like that, and I can't think of the name because it was it's like an older movie. But it was like every time a person was cloned, like they kept getting cloned. Um, mm. but like something be different. Like they didn't remember a person, or they couldn't remember something like their dog's name or mm. a certain memory. But they had like 
you know, they looked, walked and talked and sounded fine and knew some things, but not everything. Yeah, I think that would have been interesting to do. But may I would suspect that the decision to do that was probably down to time constraints in a movie. With a novel, you've a lot more time to develop something like that. And you it's more of a patient experience. So you could get into that a little bit more. But perhaps with a movie, they've already got so much going on in terms of twists and as an as a viewer you have to process so much information maybe they they were like okay we'll we'll keep this a little bit simple because to to add that in it might have just it might have messed up his his uh sort of web that he had going throughout the whole movie so um yeah that, that would have been interesting but i think maybe something like that is easier to do in a novel than a movie what do you think I, so I'm the kind of person, if you're going to take a book and make it a movie, I want you to stay true to the content, um, especially depending on the popularity of that book, you know? Mm. I think Nolan's idea is great. They, they they changed quite a few things, but I think Nolan's version of this book, it, it's a great movie overall, and had I not read that, I wouldn't have been like, oh, something's missing. I think I think it I think it did well and served its purpose. Um but I always think there is a way to incorporate this book page by page into the movie. There, there is always a way to to figure it out. If you're gonna make a movie that's two hours or three hours long, and it's, it's from a book, you can definitely figure out some way to 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 push it in there. I feel where it doesn't feel like overkill. It could be somebody said the line. Mm. Like I watched a movie with a friend, and um, at the end she had said, "Oh well, how am I supposed to know this?" At the end, like they there were no clues, and I said, "Yeah, there was." a character said this line and that line directly meant this but she didn't get it but I did because I thought I just for whatever reason that line stuck out to me mm. but for her it didn't which I, I think I, I said this before on this podcast multiple times you have a general movie audience and then you have like you know as high as like film snobs and like the in between like I think I'm like the in between and so for the average movie goer uh, someone who's like Christopher Nolan or Tarantino, um, the, it makes people think a little bit longer when they watch or they have some questions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, that's how the, I think that's how the procedure was. Obviously, people had questions like you know the I think the big question was like, well, which brother died? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think you're supposed to know which brother died. I think you're supposed to just except that it doesn't matter because they technically are the same person. So, you know, it's not one person dying. It's technically a half of each person, you know, mm. being gone because now this the brother who survived is trying to figure out his new identity and how he's going to walk amongst uh, around the earth, you know, now that half of him is gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, oh, go ahead. So you're going to say. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Just on the on the first part, I suppose they probably cut it on it in a subtle fashion, and that maybe would have satisfied the people who would who would love the novels. That uh, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. You could have snuck it in in a subtle way. Um, but yeah, it, it it's funny. Then you do think of what Borden or Fallon or whichever version of them would have to do now because people have seen Borden die. So you would think he has to live on as Fallon, and what do you do then? Exactly. They're going to be like, wait, how did he escape death? we got to kill him again or something. It's like, wait, no, I could explain this very easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I don't know about you, but for me, that last scene, because you know, it, was, it was so slow. 
um, that scene of, of him being hung. And I was just trying to figure out, I'm like, how can he get out of this? You know, there has to be a way that he's going to like, I thought when they like, you know, pulled the, pulled the lever for the body to drop, it was going to be like nothing, just a rope swinging. Mm. And it wasn't, it was really a body swinging. And I was like, no, I thought, yeah. <laughs> I thought you're going to figure it out. You know, um, especially it kind of hurt. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, no, that was it. I just said it. It kind of like hurt my feet. <laughs> <It hurt> my feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was the same, especially because he says to the guard, are you watching closely? So you think, oh, my God, like he's got something up his sleeve when he's going. Yeah. You're like, oh, fuck, he's 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 got them right where he wants them. So it is one of those. You're like you have that trust in him because he is this great magician. You're like, he'll 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 do something. He'll get out of it. But uh, then when you see the it actually goes through you're like wait what and then you have to wait till the next scene to realize that there's there's more to it so it was like it was always tying with you as you go through always tying with your expectations kind of endlessly i think that they switched to jail at some point and i've watched it so many times i can't figure out when the switch happened but i think that they switched but i think the little girl knows i think you know how kids are like um like the little boy that was with uh uh his Borden's wife well before he was his yeah. wife his wife and he saw the little trick with the bird and he was like crying he's like where's his brother and he's like oh damn you're you're smart it's like yeah kids notice little details like that mm. and I think the daughter I think she knows who her real father is and I think she knows like who actually died and and maybe they let maybe they decided that her real father will survive since you know the baby doesn't know the the true dad for sure because it's a baby but the daughter knows maybe maybe that maybe he's the one that survived i don't know i, I always go back and forth between that but mm. i don't think you're supposed to know for sure which one is the one that's alive and which one is the one that's dead because they're supposed to be the same person seamlessly yeah and you're not supposed to catch it mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think a little bit of mystery remains at the end and that's that's probably okay yeah um also another fact apparently the main characters initials spell abra so you have alfred borden and robert andrea uh, angier so alfred mm. borden and robert andrea and now uh, angier and i'm like that's really cool i didn't notice that and i wrote it multiple times but i never realized that when i wrote it. yeah 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 that's another little easter egg there's like so many yeah. <laughs> on here. Um, there was okay. So remember the the older Asian guy that was a magician, and he had that trick with the with the fishbowl. Yeah, that was a cool scene. Actually, I, I we almost forgot to talk about him. Yeah, he was cool. I like. Are you going to talk about when they see him outside afterwards? Is that that bit? Um, well, yeah, that that's part of it. But there, so when I looked at the facts for this, um, and I actually looked into this, like I did, like a spider web of uh going into this and so like i think i'm going a little bit too deep into the rabbit mm. hole so um that was actually from that's like a real fact in history of this person actually existed <laughs> so you know he did that trick and um angier and borden were watching him and they're like you know the trick is that uh you know he's not really an old man you know he's it's all it's all performance it's walking slow and acting like this that's his trick is making you believe that you know he's this old man that's incapable of doing certain mm-hmm. things and later we realize that that's why Borden related and, and could understand him so well because he's like I'm doing the same exact thing and they don't even know yeah but um yeah 
the commitment, the complete commitment. The the life dedication, because it's like you can never, you know, be yourself. You have to always be this character, you have to always be on. And that has to be exhausting. We you kind of see the important of, you know, he seems like a hothead. But I think it's because, you know, he's like, I'm going through a lot right now. Dealing with two women, two kids, me and my brother. We have a lot going on right now. Like, it is a lot. It's difficult. Mm. You know? Um, but the guy's name was uh, Chung Ling Su with a stage character name, right? And it was created by a guy named William Ellsworth Robinson, who was a white man who disguised himself as a Chinese man to cash in on audiences' enthusiasm for the exotic. Wow. Uh, Robinson lived as Chung, and he never broke character while in public. He died in March 1918 when a bullet catch trick went wrong, and he said, my God, I've been shot. And those are both his last words and the first English words he ever spoke on stage in 19 years. Wow. I thought, I was like, that's not real. I that was I thought that was really cool that they put a little like history fact in that mm. movie, you know. And I was just like, I can't imagine acting as a character for freaking twenty years of my life. Well, yeah, you know, that's that's stuff like that. The people who do crazy stuff like that—they're the ones who get remembered and talked about in a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's insane. I'm trying to think if there's any other questions I had. Do you have any questions for me? Um. I guess because uh, you know you'd said you're a big fan of Christopher Nolan. Where would you rank this in his body of work? Oh man, I got to think of all his stuff um, that you've seen, or uh, maybe you've seen all of them. All the movies. Know, what, what, have you seen them all, or most, or? What? I think I've seen all. I'm, I'm going to double check right now because I'm on IMDb right now. Ironically, so. Okay, he's done uh, Tenet, Dunkirk. Uh, I still haven't seen Dunkirk. I'll say the one movie of his I haven't seen yet. I think my favorite one of his... Oh, I'm sorry. You said where this one ranks. Uh, I would say probably second because Inception is my... I love, I'm a dream person. I love dreams and dream interpretation and all that kind of mm. stuff. So I would put this as my second favorite one of his just because I I like magic I was a kid that would watch like magic shows on TV I try to do magic stuff when I was a kid I don't have a thing for magic but um I I like that the magic is what brings you in but you stay for the revenge story mm-hmm. uh, so I I really appreciate it but I didn't watch film quite a lot um but I like it. like I liked Interstellar as well but I feel like Interstellar was a bit long mm-hmm. And for someone who's not into science, it's kind of hard to understand. Like I'm a science nerd, so I get it and I know the terminologies. But I, when I, I saw someone who's, I saw like a group of people, and it was like eight of us, and five of them didn't understand most of the movie. They're like, "What was this? And what was that?" And I'm like, "I think you guys should watch mm. it again, or you should you know, look up some stuff." Um, but yeah, what about you? Like, where does this rank for you with him? Yeah, it's up there for me with Christopher Nolan I'm just looking through as well I've, I've seen most of his work and um, I need to see Tenet still uh, I I thought Dunkirk was really good I know it was a lot of people um, were split on it some people weren't as into it but I saw that in a in a, a cinema with really 
good acoustics and they had it on the 70 mil film so it was just a really good movie experience for me so i really enjoyed that one um and i absolutely love the dark knight uh as it just as a movie on its own with um with heath ledger and his performance in that movie i just think that's that's an all-time classic but this would be right up there the prestige would be i'd say i'd say number two for me as well because and you know it's gonna no, go ahead, yeah. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Um, just be- like, you know, we've spoken about how it it is so complex in a way in terms of the constant jumping f- back and forth and the narrative and the, the many different ways that it's tricking you and throwing you off as you go through. But it, it felt like it, it still was sort of rooted in a, a kind of a simple story, almost like when... Borden is talking about his trick and he can't you said it earlier Angie can't believe that it is something so simple as a body double it's kind of mirrored in the movie itself like it doesn't feel as complex as something like Interstellar which I think I enjoyed at the time but I was one of those people who was a little bit not confused by it but I just had to work a little bit harder to enjoy it whereas this it just hit that right now for me where I it, it challenged me but I also just really enjoyed it um, without getting a headache, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think Interstellar is like, because I saw it twice, mind you, and it was like, so I had to sit down two times and watch this three-hour mm. movie. And uh, the first time I was like, wait, what? And I was like, okay. I, then I sat and thought about it for a minute. And I was like, okay, I have these three questions. I'm going to go back and watch it. And I watch it. I'm like, okay, okay. I mm. get it now. But the one issue with doing movies about time is because like Inception does with time so does Tenet and so does uh, Interstellar and Momentum and not Momentum a uh, Memento his his like his first big movie um it, there's always an issue with time like where people mess up it, it it's very hard when you do time to mm. not mess up like if you go on the 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 mess ups on uh, Interstellar there's a lot and it's like these are scientists being like okay this is an error with that time doesn't work this way or our theory of time doesn't do this or that and but I, I still think it overall was it was good like I'm not trying to like nitpick mm. and you know go through it like a scientist comb I think it was it's good and like I won't ruin Tenet for you because I think mm. you'll love it but I only saw Tenet once and after we saw Tenet we came home we're like we have questions we went we watched like all these YouTube videos of people like breaking down their theories and then like we read like some science articles about like what could actually be real, what couldn't be real. We we really, really deep dived into this, and I was like, okay, I get what happened. I want to watch it again because one of my friends she saw it and she was like, I saw Tenet. I don't really get it. I don't think I like it. And I was like, I don't think you don't like it because you don't understand what you've watched. So yeah. if you feel a certain kind of way, you know, you may not enjoy something, mm. you know. But I I enjoy. Nolan he's he's one of my favorite directors and and I know it's bad to say as a woman who loves film but it's like for the most part male directors like they're like most of my top 10 you know like the female director I want doesn't technically exist on a consistent Mm. level you know like I want a female director who does action films consistently and that are good and that she directed it and that she wrote it and it's like it doesn't exist right now or they only did like one or two movies you know and I'm just like ah like when when will that person come out that I like yeah <laughs> I can well, relate to 
more opportunities you know? there now these days. So maybe just a few years, it'll be there for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to, maybe I need to yeah. finish a script and, and be that yeah. person myself <laughs> and have you, and have you, have you film it. So I'm like, okay, Sam, this is my vision. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll team, we'll team up. Cause like, cause I didn't, I didn't study film like you did. You studied film in school. I studied, I studied photography. So, um, in school and I got into photography because Tim Burton, one of my favorite directors, and they had asked him, you know, what is something that uh, uh, someone who wants to be in film with that they should know, like a future director? He said, oh, you need to know photography. You need to study photography because that's all film is, is you know, multiple photos at mm. high speed. And he said, if you have a good idea of how photography works, your shots will be great. So like him, uh, Tarantino, Scorsese, Scorsese, like they have a strong photography base and you can see it in their films, like. Tarantino does a lot of like um you know, like background filler of like in that movie uh The Hateful Eight. The beginning is just like all these, you know, like uh shots of uh Wyoming. And at, when you see it at first, you're like, why am I seeing just like five minutes of this open Wyoming? It's like to show you the beauty of it, for you to get settled in it. You know, it takes place in in, in winter. He wants you to feel the cold, the bitterness, the emptiness of how it mm-hmm. is, you know to build up, this, build up this intensity before like all this shit happens in true Tarantino form yeah. like I really I really like it and um, you can basically like pause his movie at any point and you have this amazing picture with him with all the three that I mentioned and Nolan too they have a really good sense of you can just screen grab just about anything and it looks like a, pic- a perfect mm. picture and I really like that yeah I mean the print the principles so like you see the role itself for the person who's uh, tasked with um, composing the shots as director of photography or cinematographer, but director of photography. It's it's the same principles of composition, and yeah, if you if you study that, you'll definitely have a foundational knowledge of how to get the most out of a camera and how to compose a scene and lighting and things like that. So, yeah, like it's it's definitely um, foundational knowledge for you if you're going into uh, filmmaking. So, yeah, that'll definitely stand to you, I'm sure. You. You have a strong base of film because, like, I'm getting more intuitive knowing, um, you know, certain shots and like what they're called or how they mm. look, you know, and um, so it's like pretty amazing how you can take like the same angle but it looks different, you know, on different different camera rigs mm. and stuff like that. And um, like, I did a podcast on a movie called Waves, and the guy who directed it, he had a, he did so many, I mean, like multiple different shots and angles and camera tricks and I was like this guy is crazy but it works and the music that he chose too I'm like but he does such a good job of it his name is uh Edward Schultz okay I think that's his name um he he does a really good job of um making you feel the way he like the he he's guiding your emotion Mm. in the movie you know with the music choice for the time period for the character itself you know, and so like for me, when I watch it, I, I look for stuff like that. And I'm sure for you, since you're a film person, um, you know, there's certain angles or certain shots. You're like, oh, that's this, and it's shot with yeah. this or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, were there were were those any of those in in um in the prestige that you noticed or saw? Yeah, like and and I although I have a background in film and I work as a, a videographer, that's 
cinematography is an area that I personally feel I still have a lot of room to improve on. Um, I think my actual strength is more so in editing and I've always maybe relied on that. So that's something that I'm actively trying to improve all the time. Um, so study, like, I mean, there's so many talented people out there, you know, there's plenty to draw from and pl plenty of experts to um, learn from. So that's something that I'm trying to improve as well myself all the time, because the thing about these amazing movies you're seeing is it's not one person, you know, there's tons of talented people working on them and they all come together. So for, um, for the prestige, even like the opening shot, you mentioned it earlier when you see all the, the uh, crawling shot of all the hats, maybe, maybe that's one that you appreciate more when you have watched it because you, you understand the context. Um, but I actually think when I watched the film, the, the lighting was one of the things that really appealed to me. All the, um, all the warmly lit scenes from in and around the different theaters, it really makes you feel like you're in that time. And there's a lot of atmosphere with that then when you imagine yourself and you're immersed in the story and it's uh, the 1800s, the late 1800s, and you've got all these, you know, it feels like the whole thing's almost being lit by lanterns and um, things like that. I think I noticed that really contributed to the story. There's a, I don't know what, what that person's called, but there's a person that that's their job is like, basically like a, histor like a historian, either they contact one or they have one for the film. And it's like, Hey, we're doing a movie in this time period. We need to know what mm. lights look like. You know, if they had sockets, what they look like, what were clothes, like what were glasses mm. like. So uh, like my dad's a history, like a big history buff. Like he's always dropping history gems. I'm like, okay, dad, like whatever. Cause like, I'm not a big history person like that. And he's the one in the movie, he like, when we come out, he's like, oh, did you notice that that glass on the table? And I'm like, what about it? He's like, that's actually how they looked mm. in that time period. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's really cool. So people do pick yeah. up on stuff like that. You know, like, are you actually staying authentic to the material? And they'll have that like in the goop section on IMDb of like, oh, uh, there's a scene where someone had, I don't know, uh, a wine bottle. And it's like, that wine bottle didn't <laughs> yeah, exist yeah. in England. It existed only in Paris. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah, the movie's ruined. <laughs> but I, I like those. Yeah. yeah, damn it. The authentication is wrong. But yeah, like there, like you said, there are so many people that work on a movie set, and I, and I want everybody like the next time you watch a movie, truly read the credits on a big production and a small production, and see how many people it took, minus the physical actors, it took to make this production. It, it's yeah, so it's many, people, it's so many it's names. Insane. Yeah, like when you go see like a Marvel movie, it's like ten minutes of credits, but it's like we use hundreds of, of people to make this two-hour film for you you know like we filmed it it's great but it's like oh the pants aren't the right color we had to get a color corrector to come digitally yeah, correct the yeah. color of the pants for the, for the five scenes it's like wait what yeah it's, it's so it's so hard I, to do I, like I, I remember I, even when I started in college and we first started to make crappy little short films you know just to learn how to do it and you realize how difficult it is just to make something not complete garbage not even to make it good it just it's so difficult to make something just in any way okay so when you see movies like that of that caliber that are so well crafted and have all these different moving parts like you you were talking about the role there it's the art director 
and they have a team beneath them then of people to make sure that the the props are all right they're working with the director and the the um the director of photography and the the gaffer to make sure the lighting and it all has to mesh together so yeah they're they're huge operations and and um i'm not really in that world i'm i'm doing short kind of commercial projects where there's like me and maybe someone else and uh that that's kind of the space i'm in at the moment because it's it's this fast turnover world and it's like promotional stuff but there's so much more that goes into something like this when you're looking at a two-hour hollywood movie and i guess then you realize why the budgets have to be so big yeah because there's a lot there's a lot that to do but like that's why i think that's why i appreciate like mm-hmm. an indie film because it's like a we have the small budget and we're making and we have a small crew or making things work well for us. And they have, you know, they, there's always somebody who knows how to make something look like a big budget production or look more than what it is. And it's like, oh, I can do this. It's pretty simple. It's going to take some time, but it's possible. And then when you see it on screen, you're like, mm. you did all of that, you know? So like, I, I, I'm glad that in the past few years that this indie circuit has gained more popularity because it's allowed people to see like you don't like these I love studios and all but studios rely too heavily on these big budgets you know and then you have a studio like Bloomhouse where hit the I forgot the guy who owns Bloomhouse but his thing is like I want a good movie mm. for the lowest amount of money and I think they get paid um, a SAG the, the mm-hmm. SAG salary SAG uh, was it Spring yeah. Actors Guild Association yeah they get that pay and there's just some like heavy hitter actors that are getting this you know little pay but i think that they want i think these big actors know it's like if you don't have an indie film under your belt it's like you haven't acted yet you know like you have someone like viola davis where i feel like that viola davis is like what's the movie what is it about okay i got this you know because she just my my favorite actors are viola davis and meryl streep because they just it's like every every role they do it's just they just like embody this character and the cadence and just you forget who the hell you're watching on screen yeah like viola davis is great she i've seen her play like such a wide range of even age ages in in roles and it's like yeah she's definitely a chameleon and yeah with with um with those filmmakers who are able to i guess create something of such quality without a big budget those are i suppose the real geniuses because you do see we've all seen huge big budget blockbuster movies that the story doesn't make sense and you do then realize like the basics you need to have the basics covered before you get into any crazy visual effects or anything like that because no matter how much you spend it doesn't matter like even the Game of Thrones finale. I don't know if you're into Game of Thrones, but that was a huge one because there was so much talk about budgets and the scale of the operation. But then the the response to it was so fractured because people were like, okay, like you can do all that, but you really have to work on the story too, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big Game of Thrones fan. I think it looks good visually. I think the actors do an amazing job. And you might be like, Mia, you're wrong. But whenever I watch it, I always mm. predict what's going to happen. I mean, like, always. And so, like, I have a group of friends, like, 15 of us that would, like, hang out. And we had a watch party when it came out. 
And I predicted everything that happened in this finale. And they're like, how the hell do you know all this? I'm like, it's just because these are like classic things you see in a movie or TV show. Mm. And it's just repeated. And it's like, no, nothing against the, the guy who wrote the books or the person who's actually making the episode. It's just that when you watch as much film and TV as I do, you start seeing these like just repetitive things that everybody uses. Sometimes as a crutch because they don't know how to how else to to do it you know they don't know how to create mm. a spin on it or whatever or it's just like you know it's content clue of like oh if this person's acting this way then something else is gonna happen you know like the actor probably knows their character is gonna do is gonna do this later betray somebody so they're purposely having a certain look on their face or doing something with their body to foreshadow that and I, I study psychology too, so I'm also picking up on these micro expressions and these like small little body, you know, movements that they're doing. I'm like, I think that means this, because why would they say it in this tone? And they're like, you're like thinking way too heavy, and I'm like, eh, that's how I feel. So, like, certain movies or shows that come out, I can't get into them, or I'll try, and I'm like, this isn't made for me. This is made for just like a regular moviegoer or regular like the average person who watches tv that won't like pick it apart you know what i mean like i saw the craft the second one and i love like going back into these reboots and i love the first craft and it's like 20 odd years later and you know i was like i'll give it a chance whatever and i watched it i'm like i don't like it and it's because it's not for me this is made for the newer generation of of, ki- of girls, you know, that are into witchy stuff. This isn't meant. This isn't meant for me because, like, from the trailer, sadly, I predicted the whole movie, and then I watched it, and I was like, "Damn, I didn't want to be right. I wanted to be kind of right." And then there was like some cool mm. little spin on what I thought, you know. So, I I usually go for stories that just they're just a little bit different. Mm. You know what I mean, or like an experience I never, mm. I've never had before. Not to say I won't watch like a movie that looks like the stupid funny or whatever. I'm like I can sit and enjoy something like that. I don't need to always be watching something that's so serious and content. And it's a ten out of ten movie. Like I don't need to. There's some movies that like it's a five, but it's still like good. You know what I mean? It's like I can watch this again. It it, it still has some kind of charm to it. And then there are just some movies that are like horrible. Oh, you know what? Okay, watch this movie. It's super weird. It's called, I think it's called Skins? Skin? No, yeah. It's called uh, Pieles. It's, it's in Spanish. P-I-E-L-E-S. But in English, it's, I believe it's called Skin. It is very fucking okay. weird, just to give you a warning. Um, me and my boyfriend watched it, and we were like, what the fuck did we just watch? Like, what, what was the point of this movie? Like, it just, it's very different. So watch it and tell you what you think, whether you're mad at me that I told you to watch it or you like okay, it, let, you know. let me know. I'll let you know. I'll give you the review. What you, what you think. <laughs> yeah, it has a 6.2 on IMDb. That could go either way, can't it? Um, yeah, no, seriously. That one and, um, oh, what's the other one called? It's weird. Antiviral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that movie, but I think that's good. Um Antiviral is basically, and I think it kind of relates to, you know, how people feel about celebrities now, of, like, people's obsession with celebrities and how they basically want to just consume Mm. every part of them. And I think I can stop right there without ruining it for you. And it has, if you saw Get Out, the brother in Get Out, 
uh, I don't know his name, but the the brother of the main girl in Get Out, he stars in this film. Like that's how I first saw him before I saw Get Out. I saw him in this movie. Um, so yeah, get that okay. one to try too. I'll, I'll add that to the list. So I've, I've got Tenet, I've got Skin, and I've got that one too. So I'll leave leave with gifts. Yeah. I'll I'll screenshot this movie so you can see because I'm like. I think you type in skin, something else pops up. I'm not I sure. I might have to be careful with uh, that one with the search results. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. Maybe try the Spanish one because like we had to read subtitles watching it, but I don't, I yeah, don't mind either. subtitles. Um, and then if you're into, well, I'll give you this last one and I'll stop talking. Uh, if you're into Asian horror at all, and it's not like scary, scary. Um, there's a new show called, it came out in December, it's called Alice in Borderland, which is basically, it's similar mm-hmm. to Alice in Wonderland, or it's supposed to be a, a new spin on Alice in Wonderland, um, and it's basically like Escape Room, I, I said to someone a certain kind of way, it's like Escape Room meets meets something, I forgot what I said in particular, but it, it, it's really cool, it's like these, these three Asian guys, they realize that they're like, they're like alone in Japan, and they're like, what happened? And then, like, there's this big screen that says, hey, there's a game. Like, follow these signs. They go and they play this game. They realize, like, we have to continue to play these games <laughs> in order to survive and exist in this world. So, yeah. watch it. Tra- it's on Netflix. Yeah, I've been, watch the trailer. I've been recommended Give that it- one, actually, as well, by someone already. I will have to check that one out. It's, uh, I think I saw the trailer on Netflix. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah, let's give it like one episode because I was like, I had it in my in my queue since December and I didn't watch it, and I finally watched it last weekend. I was like, oh, let me just pop the first episode on, and then I watched the mm. entire season in two days, and I was like, okay, now I'm ready for a second season, and I have no idea if production's in limbo because of COVID or not. You know, obviously it's probably hard right now, but it's no a good, good show. So I'll add that one to the list as well. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I had had for you. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say or comment on about this or anything else? No, just related thanks for having like me that? on. I think it's really cool what you're doing with this podcast. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I'd love to do it again at some point in the future. Oh, well, of course. Good. I'm, I will have you that's on cool. as many times as you would Excited like. <laughs> um, I, I like having guests on. So it's like another perspective of movie, and sometimes there's things that like I never thought of, thought of or saw. So it's nice to get someone else's yeah, view on yeah, something. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, best of luck with it, and I'll be tuning into the next one as well. Thanks. I'm gonna try to get better, <laughs> and eventually oh, I'll, cool. I'll move on to YouTube cool. and and develop develop my. I, I might need to uh, hire you for your services. Yeah, with, with yeah, some we'll video get you set up and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, Sam, um, do you have an Instagram for your services? People want to yeah, get so, in contact uh, with you? My business page is we're called Studio VP it's for video production. Um, and we're based in Ireland. So it's on Instagram. It's Studio uh, VP underscore IE. And you can get us there. Great. I'll definitely add that into the description too so people can have it Brilliant. as well. Well, Sam, thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Nia. Thanks very much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And um, I'll catch up with you soon. You too. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Have a good day.
Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. If you want to follow me on Instagram, the Instagram handle is Pineapple Reels. Also, if you have a suggestion for a movie or have any comments, please email me at pineapplereels at gmail.com. And I want to say a special thank you to Sam who came on for this episode today. I really appreciated getting the insight of someone who has a lot of film knowledge, especially more than I do on the technical side. And for next week's episode of Pineapple Reels, I will be finally covering Judas and the Black Messiah. I finished my research, ready to go. I'm very excited to be covering this topic. And I'll be having my father on as a guest, which I'm extremely happy for. And he'll be giving us a bit of insight on the true events that happened from this movie that this movie was based on. Stay tuned.